episode 51 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Today, we're getting back into firearms training. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, episode 51, we're getting back at it. This is Tactical Breakdown, the number one law enforcement training podcast in the world. If you aren't subscribed, I would recommend you do so because we got some massive things coming down the pipe for you. A lot of collaborations, some big events that are going to make Islet Summit look tiny. Well, maybe not tiny, but just a whole bunch more information and training for you. So hopefully you'll be able to take advantage of that. Easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the podcast. You can do it on your favorite podcast player, wherever you're listening to this right now. Hit the subscribe button and you will stay up to date on everything that's going to be rolling your way very shortly. Today's episode is with my buddy, Arik Levy. Arik is with Firearms Nation. He is a firearms instructor and competitive shooter. We had a lot of fun with this episode and on this call, talking to everything about firearms training. So I hope you get a lot out of it. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, make sure to stay tuned because coming up after this episode later this week is going to be the first time I have my friend, Dr. Bill Lewinsky from Force Science on talking about his background about what Force Science is getting up to right now. It's going to be a great episode, so I'm looking forward to that. So without any further ado, let's get Arik on the line here and jump into this episode. Here we go. So, hey, Mike, thanks for joining us on the show, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. You and I have been doing this for a little while. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have. And, of course, I'm talking about podcasting and creating video content. Right now in the news, you had just said to me before we, we jumped on the call here, you had said it's, it's almost painful to watch the quality of audio and video that's coming out on national televised news because people just don't know how to set it up, man. What's going on? I, well, I mean, obviously they don't understand that people will, they'll watch crappy video if it's got good sound, but if it's great video and it has horrible sound, they turn it off. They zone out. Most of the news stations that I know, they'll, they'll try and figure out something else. I saw one the other day where the person actually had to be on the phone. I thought, oh, that sounds so bad. That just sounds so bad. They're on camera, but they're talking through the phone. But I mean, look, they, they have no choice right now because these people were thrown into it, you know, and they're using webcams from their laptops. So it's looking right up their nose. They don't understand that, you know, you should build up a couple books. So the laptop is like the camera's right in front of you. So, I mean, I know you can go on YouTube and I hope some of these people do. And there's people putting out content and how to do it. It's not really what I talk about on my YouTube channel, but I mean, it's worth people going to, you know, YouTube you and figuring this out. Cause I mean, last thing you want to do is go on national news and uh, or world news and just look bad. Well, I mean, and that's, that's a big thing. I know I've gotten a lot of, you know, phone calls or emails or just people like, Hey, I'm, uh, we're setting up a lot of training now. And cause everyone's trying to set up their training online. How do I do this? How do I, how do I set up video? How do I do audio? What do you recommend? Uh, to the point where I was almost like, man, I should have had a business going before, before this happened. I'd be making, I'd be making some good money right now. But I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's for like law enforcement and military and people that are doing, these trainers and instructors and even on the civilian side, right? You're talking the civilian firearms instructors and things like that as well. There's, there's, there's an opportunity right now to create online content, but I think you have to be really careful because is it going to be something that you're going to use moving forward? Right. Is like, cause right now, if you're not, and you're going to spend all your time and effort and money creating and developing an online program or some type of, social media presence and and spend the money with the advertisements or even just with the softwares. Are you going to continue on with that? Or in six, eight months, 12 months down the road, when everything kind of goes back to normal, are you just going to dump it? And then it was kind of all for nothing. So, I mean, that's like the conversation I've had with multiple people so far with the situation that we're in right now. Right. And hopefully it doesn't last that long. And of course we're talking about uh, the coronavirus that's spread across continents and countries 
down here in, in South Florida, I mean, we're, we're at stay at home. Of course I, I, I work, I have to work because of my job. It's tough for people. And, you know, it, it is beneficial that they do have stuff to, to watch and to listen. Cause I can only imagine that you can watch reruns of Magnum PI for on Netflix for that many times before you lose your mind. Yeah. Have you watched? Okay. Here's, I didn't know, I didn't know if this was ever going to come up in a conversation, but it just did. Have you watched Tiger King on Netflix? No, I refuse. Dude, (laughs) dude, I, I honestly could, it's like watching a train wreck, man. Like you just, you, I got, my wife had put it on and she's like, somebody said, check this out. She's like, so we sat down one night and started watching it. And I was like, it's hard to look away. It's hard to look away. The fact that a person like that could even run for, for president or run to, for, to, for, to be a senator was, was hilarious to me. I mean, obviously we, the U.S. can, I mean, we're democracies. Anybody can run, but it was, it was super just funny just watching that entire series play out. And I just can imagine the amount of stuff that people are going down the rabbit hole on right now instead of doing what they should be doing, which is taking the time that they have now and doing some training, right? Because everybody talks about, hey, I never have time to do training. Now's your time. This is your time. Do the, tr- like, read a book, watch that course that you never got around to doing. I mean, I don't know what you tell people with your agency or, you know, students that you have. It's just like, there's there's ample time right now to to get that practice in that you may not have had time for before. Oh, and, and just because you mentioned that, uh, I... You know, you know, I think we, we connected because uh, you, you saw the Shooter Summit or you, you found out about the Shooter Summit, which we can talk about. But uh, because of, uh, you know, this horrible virus and here in America, I mean, people by the millions are losing their jobs. All three summits are now free. So anyone can sign up and they, they'll get over 70 hours worth of content uh, for free. And uh, that's, that's amazing going on right now. And so we'll give the link out and uh, you can put it in the show notes, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly the point. You know, there's stuff online right now that hopefully you don't have to pay for because a lot of people don't have the money. They're thinking about buying food and toilet paper and they shouldn't have to worry about it. So uh, yeah, learn and learn skills and enhance your skills. Uh, dry fire, you know, you should be dry firing every day. Uh, so these are things that you can be doing if you're if you're not working, even if you are working, find the time. Now that we have brought it up, let's talk about. It. So you you basically created the Firearms Nation, right? I mean, people can go to firearmsnation.com to check it out. But do you want to talk a bit about what it is, why why you put all this together, and the types of training and stuff that you are doing with it? Well, I've been in law enforcement for seventeen years, and about 10 of those years, I've I've been a firearms instructor. And one of the things that I I was lucky to do, even before I was a firearms instructor, it was train with a lot of the top instructors that are, that are, you know, the commercial instructors, the military instructors. And it it all started with Magpul Dynamics. I I found that video online. I was like, God, I want to train with those guys. And I got a taste of what that kind of training was like. So I sought out, you know, the list is, you know, Larry Vickers, uh, Max Michelle, uh, Jerry Barnhart, Benny Cooley, all these great guys. And then about in 2017, 2016, 2017, I decided, you know, look, there's so many people that don't have access to those instructors. What if I were able to find a way to bring those instructors virtually to them? meaning, you know, interview them. So I, I created the podcast, but before the podcast, I did a shooter summit. I figured that'd be a good way to just introduce what Firearms Nation was about. So the shooter summit, when it originally started, I think it was about 20, 23 instructors from both the competition side and the tactical side got together and they talked about, there were certain questions that I asked them. They were all kind of the same questions, like how did you get into it? Uh, What's your training routine like? What do you teach your students? That type of stuff. And then the second summit was more what they wanted to bring. And it it doubled in size. I had about 40 instructors. And then the third one I did back in 2018, it was all geared towards competition. And, you know, I shoot USPSA, which is uh, in in the North America. I don't don't know. I think you guys do IPSC up there. Um, Yeah, IPSC. Yeah. 
So I think we also have IDPA too. So yeah, it's 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 the it's practical shooting with a pistol. I mean, now they they have the pistol caliber carbine as well. But uh, it was all about making Grandmaster, and I, I really did a deep dive into uh, how these top Grandmasters uh, made it that way. And uh, you know, there was a lot of similarities, but there were some differences in in what their stories were. So it's and then they also brought uh, drills with them, which was kind of different. You know, they they were filming drills that we would talk about and then you could set up the same drills if you wanted to. So it was, it was very successful. Uh, people really enjoyed it, but along the way, after the first summit, I started the podcast and the podcast has been going pretty much every week since. Yeah. And it's awesome too. I mean, for me, for a guy like me who doesn't get to go out and shoot all the time. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of deprived of, of firearms training, to be honest. I feel like I'm deprived of it. Um, it's great for me because it keeps, it keeps it on the top of mind. Um, all the little drills and all just the, the mindset behind it. So that when I do get a chance to go out on the range, it's, it's, I actually feel like I'm more productive. And I think that goes right back to what we were saying before too. It's like, if you're not training right now, I mean, there's there's so much stuff with mindset that you can incorporate into your training, right? I mean, you're if you're locked in your house, I mean, like you said, dry fire, but there's a huge mental component to to all of this stuff. Any type of I mean, I would call this like a high performance sport, right? I mean, there's very, very technical aspects to it and athletic aspects to it. So what for you personally, like what are some things that you're doing right now to to kind of keep to keep everything uh, at a high level? Well, before I get to that question, I want to go back to something you had said about mindset and you bring that up. I just released a podcast from a, a live stream I did last week with uh, Steve Anderson, who has written three different dry fire books. Basically, uh, he's known as like the dry fire guy, but he's also now a certified instructor in uh, Lanny Basham's mental management. And if you don't know who Lanny Basham is, he wrote this book with winning in mind He's a world champion and Olympic gold medalist in uh, air rifle. And he has come up with a program that helps people become champions. They've, they've made gold medalists. They've made world champions. They've made IPSC champions, USPSA. Uh, he teaches it to the Secret Service, to the FBI. So it's it's really interesting um, concepts and this is something that he, he quotes from the book is that, you know, he spoke to, so he, he took the silver medal in one of the Olympics. And then between the next four years, he tried to figure out, you know, what happened because he was the world champion and he took the silver and he spoke with all these gold medalists because, you know, obviously if you're a silver medalist, you go to a gold medalist, they'll talk to you. You know, you're not just some reporter and ask them, you know, what, what they did. And they're like, you know, 95% of it was mental. 5% was the actual skill. So if all of these gold medalists were saying it was mental, obviously there was a mental component that he just needed to figure out. And he did. And that's the program that uh, he teaches now. So yes, there is definitely a mental. And if, if that applies to so many aspects of your shooting, you know, whether you're in military, law enforcement, private security, uh, everyday carry person, when, when you're shooting at that target, uh, how you see yourself as a shooter influences so much of what the outcome is going to be. If you're the type of person that gets up there and you're looking at a target and you're like, oh man, I suck at steel. I just, you know, there's a plate rack. Oh, I'm going to miss. Well, guess what? You're going to miss. You have to learn how to overcome that and how to, you know, stop thinking negative thoughts, think the positive thoughts, think on stuff that you need to work on and move on from there. And then eventually, and I've seen it in myself, and I've seen it in students that you get better. And then going back to your second part of your question, what have I been doing? Well, uh, obviously I'm working. So that takes a lot of my time. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, in law enforcement, we still have to work in, I guess it's fortunate for people who don't have a job that we're working, but you know, we're out on the front lines and uh, one of my fellow officers passed away just a couple of days ago uh, from the coronavirus. And it, it, it was really, it brought it, you know, you're, you're reading about it in the news, you hear about it all the time. It's just something people are talking about. And then when somebody, you know, dies from it and he was younger than me, it was just like, it was such an eye opener and 
heart-wrenching uh, thing to, to have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, and, and we had talked about this a little bit beforehand, and obviously, like, our condolences go obviously to you, your department, and that officer's family and friends, but, you know, it's, it's, it brings, it kind of humbles you when, when you start realizing, like, there's, there's so much more, you know, we, we talk a lot, and of course, we're talking, when we're talking shooting, and I know you do a lot of competitive shooting and, and things like that, and we're not necessarily going to be talking about, um, firearms training specific only to law enforcement, but, you know, there's all these things that we take for granted, like being able to go out and do competitive shooting competitions or going out and playing basketball or going out, to the football field or doing jujitsu or, you know, going, whatever, whatever your poison is playing video games. It's, it's really interesting. Again, going back to the mental aspect of things, it's where do officers, you know, when you're, cause you're going out and you're putting yourself in danger. Now it's more than ever because it's not just a physical it's, well, it is a physical threat, but it's not just something you can see. It's something that you can't see. And the amount of stress that officers are feeling right now, it has to be through the roof. I mean, you know, I I've had this talk with, I don't know how many people um, I've been on. I've done a lot of different types of conference calls, um, support groups and things like that for veterans and first responders up here in Canada. And the one thing that I always bring up, if I have the chance, it's, you know, we're not getting the opportunities now to decompress, right? You finish your shift. Normally, you know, there's some people that like to go out for beer with their buddies or they go to their friend's house or, you know, they go out and do something. They go do a sport. They go to the gym. They go do whatever. To, they go to the range to decompress. You're not getting that right now. Now you leave work, you go home, and there's still that threat to your health and it's ever present. I mean, people have to be more stressed out now than ever. And I think it's something that has to be talked about because, we're going to start seeing the the repercussions of that if people aren't taking their mental health seriously enough during this crisis. Well, absolutely. And think about this. Not only are you coming home to decompress and you're normally, you know, I don't know what it's like for other officers, but when I, when I was working the road, uh, come home, when, when I was taking off the vest and taking off the boots, that was like, I'm switching from that world to now my home world. And it was a disconnect, but here where, when we're going out and doing stuff, we come home. Now I'm worried about what am I bringing home? Right. I might not even know that I was exposed to this and now I could potentially expose my family to it. So that's stressful. And then now we're also thinking about what if this devastates, you know, the department or other departments. And, uh, you know, you look at some place like New York city where, you know, I think they're up to over a thousand officers out. I mean, granted they they have you know, 30,000 officers, but still that's, that's a lot of people to be out. So it's, it's, it's definitely a, a trying time. You look at the positives. I don't know what it's like up there. I don't know what the weather's like, but the weather's really nice down here in Florida. And <laughs> yeah, we had this conversation on your podcast. I know, but people are about, about running and walking and biking uh, oh, when I'm driving I home, I just, it's because, you know, all the, all the gyms are closed. Uh, I see mm -hmm. garage doors open and people working out and it's just, it's, it's impressive to see the amount of people out there doing it. And when this first started again, I, I, I don't know what your experience was like up there. I was concerned about civility and there's still a little bit of that first week for us. Uh, it became like people were really anxious. They were anxious about the food. The food was flying off the shelves. Now it's kind of caught up. I mean, we still don't have toilet paper. It's crazy. But oh, wow. The other food is there, you know, and that's what they were trying to say. Like, listen, don't freak out about it. But people were, people were thinking that, you know, everything was going to shut down. So they were buying everything up. And I was worried about, you know, people being civil to each other and people were starting fights and, you know, these things can escalate and, when your family's life on the line, what are you going to, you know, and you know that they're not going to be able to eat. How far are you willing to go to get food? But it seems like more and more people are more accepting of that we're all in this together. And, you know, I see people being more friendly, at least when I'm walking and doing stuff that people are, people I don't even know are saying hi and, you know, give me the, the nod. I would, I would definitely agree. I feel that there's a, a grander sense of community. Um, 
in the population as a whole, but there's still, there's still those outliers. Um, and I think that's probably what's most frustrating for, um, everybody listening to this that's in law enforcement or first responders, you know, people that are, are out there every single day and you're still seeing these just idiots doing the stupidest. Like, it's like you, you, you're consciously making that choice when you know it's wrong. I think that's the most frustrating thing. I'll give you an example. This just happened up here in Canada, in Quebec at a Walmart. So the Walmarts up here, what they had, some of them, I shouldn't say, I can't speak for all of them, but some of them. So they have physical barriers outside. They're limiting the number of people inside the store at any given time. Obviously with the social distancing lines and arrows, um, paths throughout the store, but they're also saying you only have one person per vehicle that goes into the store. I guess this, um, one individual was shopping with his wife, um, was frustrated at the security guard because they both weren't allowed in and he actually ran over uh, the security guard. So uh, there was a oh. hit and run, but somebody had gotten the license plate or whatever. They tracked him down a couple hours later and, and wrote him up for pretty much every charge under the sun that I think they could think of. He'll probably be, be sent. He'll be, he'll be spending some time uh, in, uh, in prison for a while. Those types of things, it, it br- drags you back to, yeah, there's still going to be that element of society that we have to deal with. And, and that's just a reality for all the, all the men and women listening to this podcast right now. If we look at the positive, uh, yeah, there's a lot that you can do. And that personal development, I know some people decided to listen, I'm going to learn how to do this online, or I'm going to pick up this crap, or I'm going to start writing again, or I'm going to read these books. You know, there's, there are definitely positive things that you can do. And you're right. I, I hope that people continue to have that better sense of community. Uh, we are, you know, fighting something that we can't even see. And it, it's totally indiscriminate. You know, it's not just going after one person. It can go after anybody. So, yeah, we, we are together on this. You know, I mean, I don't want to, uh, you know, take up all of our time here talking about something that, I mean, we're going to be talking about for the next six months. So one of the things that I'm really excited, the reason why I wanted to have you on for the first place when we very first talked was there's, to me, it's very interesting. The comparisons and just the, the amount of information and training that you can pull from competitive shooting. That's relevant to law enforcement firearms training. And since you do both, you're the perfect person to ask about it. So can we talk a bit about when we're talking competitive shooting? Because, I mean, they're obviously two different things and you get different opinions, varying opinions all across the board from officers saying whether that's completely useless or that, you know, that's awesome and everything in between. Where where do you fall on that spectrum of there's obviously some stuff that's very, very good. There's some stuff that's maybe not so applicable. Where is that happy medium and where can we start finding that uh, for any of the officers that are listening to this right now? Well, I'll tell them. and I, I tell this to my students, too. Uh, you will be that much better of a shooter if you compete. So let's let's look at the combative arts, say jujitsu, judo, wrestling. Even, you know, karate, taekwondo, boxing, that's great to shadow box. You know, it's good exercise. You know, you can do all sorts of drills by yourself, but until you're put in some sort of competition, and it can just be regular sparring, right? In jujitsu, you know, you roll with somebody, you're going to get a sense of what works, what doesn't work under stress. Until you have that stress element, uh, it's all theoretical. You need to be able to have that pressure on you to develop as a shooter because one or two things is going to happen. You're going to find out that what you think you know doesn't really work or that you're doing things uh, inefficiently and you can figure out ways to get better. So competition, the biggest, I would say, blowback I get from people is their ego. And you know, you go on and on about ego, <laughs> but they'll go out there the first time they'll compete and, you know, law enforcement officers are very type A people. And then they realize how much they, they suck against other competitors who are a lot of them just, you know, regular civilians. And I don't mean to diminish civilians by saying that, but I'm just saying from the, in the, 
the separation between law enforcement and civilians, these, you know, the law enforcement officers, oh, these civilians are beating me. I, you know, I'm not upholding my mystique as a law enforcement officer. I'm never coming back to this. This is stupid. This isn't reality. You're not, you know, this is not a real fight. And, and then they never come back. And then some of them are the most vocal critics of competition. It's going to get you killed. And uh, I got a couple of things for them. So that whole competition gets you killed. If you can't distinguish between you're in competition and you're, you're not using cover versus you're in a real gunfight and you're going to use cover, then there's probably something else going on in, in your mental uh, mindset at that point. The best I would say, okay, I like to use the word the best, but the, 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 the most tactical people that we know are, you know, the Delta Force unit or uh, Navy SEALs. These guys, they reach out to competitive shooters for years, 30, 40 years. They've been reaching out to competitive shooters, the top shooters, because they realize that these guys shoot fast and shoot accurate. You're not giving up either speed or accuracy. They're doing both. And they're like, well, that's what we want to do. So a lot of the stuff that you get, if you go to say like a, a Kyle Lamb course, uh, some of the stuff that you're getting is what he learned back when he was uh, in the unit and learning from some of these top competitive shooters. So if it's good enough for them, shouldn't it be good enough for you? You know, makes sense. So yeah, there's, there's, and, and these guys are very, very tactical. It's not like they're, learning some competition stuff and getting killed. Nope. It's not going to work. And you know, so yeah, uh, competition doesn't get you killed. It makes you better. And it allows you to be able to just like, I think we talked about before you do jujitsu, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So in jujitsu and you've been doing it for a while, you, you don't freak out when someone's on top of you. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're, mm-hmm. yep. you're kind of, you're, you're, you're a little comfortable. You're, you're, you're relaxed. You're kind of flowing with that person. And, you know, it's just, it's, you, you don't even think about it, but you take somebody who's never done jujitsu and all of a sudden you mount on top of them, they start freaking out and they don't know what to do. And if you put a little bit of, you know, you start putting pressure on top of them, they really freak out. Same thing happens when, you know, I see this with my students. They'll, um, they'll get a, uh, uh, a jam and then they'll just stop right They're in the middle of shooting a drill and they get a jam. They'll just stop or they run out of ammo and they don't even realize that the slides locked back because they, they don't experience that that often versus, you know, you're in competition. You see that you start, things don't seem to overwhelm you. you, you does that make sense? 100%. Once I started competing and believe me, I, I thought I was a pretty decent shooter, which I wasn't right. That was my ego saying, Oh, you're a good shot. You know, I could stand still and hit a target, you know, seven yards away. Oh, I'm, I'm a good shot. Uh, and then you see what these people can do and they're moving and they're shooting and they're running and they're, they're, they're shooting at things that move. And you're like, I wish I could do that all the time. And that's what happens because most of the time for the majority of, of law enforcement training that I've seen it's a lot of static line training on a one-way range. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have force on force, but force on force is still different because you're shooting around. That's not really around, you know, it's, it's a marking paint or a, a BB or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there, it's so interesting. I, I love all those points that you brought up and it, it really is. It, it really is the test. It's you, you have to for in this, in this specific circumstance, there's nothing that'll replicate rounds down range. Right. There's you can't there's nothing that's going to you you take somebody who's fired 10 rounds versus somebody who's fired 10,000 rounds. I mean, a thousand times out of a thousand, the person who's fired more rounds is going to be the better shooter. It's just it's just experience. There's no real there's no way to to give that to somebody in an academic type setting. Um, And, you know, same thing, like you said, with jujitsu. I mean, there's there's nothing that can prepare you for the amount of top pressure coming from like a super heavyweight. Right. Like there's a 240 pound dude putting all of his weight center, like all of it in the center of my chest. And I have to just lie there. And I can't like it's a very it's a very claustrophobic feeling. Yes. But once you learn to live with that and once you become comfortable with it and you're like, oh, 
if I just bridge my arms up here and frame myself, he's just exerting energy and I'm literally just lying here breathing. Right. And once you realize that you're like, okay, cool. And then, and then you're comfortable in that position, like you said. So, I mean, when we're talking, if you're talking, you know, drills with like reload drills or, you know, have a stoppage, it's fix the problem, fix the problem. And it, with the competitive shooting, it's, it's, I mean, that you guys run through that day in, day out. I mean, I can't imagine the amount of mag changes that you guys would do in one training session. Like it's probably in the, in the hundreds, if not thousands. Right. So it's, it's just a completely different mindset, which I think is really interesting. Um, that it's so, so different than the way we do traditional law enforcement firearms training. Very much so. Very much so. And I think, that is institutionalized. I think it's gotten better. But when I first started, it was very institutionalized. It was very, it seemed like it was like old school military style training. And there, there was nothing progressive about it. Again, static line, you know, shooting bullseyes. And the funny thing is, if they would have only like stopped and, and took a step, step back to it, well, there's a, there's a benefit to shooting groups, right? There's always a benefit. I always like to start in my train sessions shooting groups just to confirm the accuracy. But besides that, you know, we, we're never, ever, we don't want to be bullseye shooters. Once we know how to shoot, a, shoot an accurate shot, we, we want to be able to keep acceptable accuracy and have a good amount of speed. You, you you know what I mean? It's like I see people in class shooting at a pace that's not going to be realistic to what, if you look at any of these videos, and now there's so many because of the body cams. Before, you know, we would get uh, traffic cameras. So, you yeah, not traffic cameras, but uh, dash cameras. And you would, you would get a certain perspective for it, but you really didn't get to see it. Now with the body cams, we're seeing it. And there's, there's, these, there's this YouTube channel I subscribe to that, is all it's doing is officer involved shootings and you're just seeing this stuff happen out in, in real time. And you're like, these guys are shooting fast. So if people are shooting that fast under stress, well, there's no wonder why if if they can't handle the gun, why they're missing, you know? Oh, I I love that point. Like you think about it because people, like you said, they're going through a, a clip 15 rounds in three to four seconds are they like, I can guarantee you almost none of them are doing that at the range in a practice setting before that even happens. Right. I mean, well, so it's completely foreign to them. Wasting ammo. There's, there's no way administrators are going to let you shoot that fast and blow off ammo uh, and, and not, you know, make hits on a target. Right. Cause it's, it's different in the competitive world where we learn that you've got to shoot faster. Right. It, it, there's two things that are going to happen. Either you're just going to just shoot to shoot and you don't really care, or you're going to go there and you're like, well, what do I need to do to win? Right. If you went to a match and you're like, okay, I came in last place, but that's fine. I just started this. But four years go by and you're still in last place. You're going to be thinking to yourself, well, I'm doing something wrong. So what do I need to do to win? And that's what I did. You know, I, besides taking classes, I went to the top shooter and they go, what am I doing wrong? And the shooting community, and from my perspective, uh, is just extremely welcoming and very positive, very positive about the sport. And they're willing to talk to you. It's just like the same thing in, in the jujitsu community. I, I, most of the people that I come in contact with are, are just super nice and, and willing to explain things to you in detail that, you know, you don't have to, to feel intimidated by. So yeah, just, just ask, you get better. And that's what you focus on. And there's, there's a lot of law enforcement officers that I know that are also really good competitors. And it's, they all say the same thing. They all say that once they started competing, things changed for them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would definitely, you know, uh, echo the fact that you said like the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood of, of groups, things like jujitsu and, and, you know, competitive shooting there's these little pockets of of people right that get together over something that they love doing and when you get into one of those groups it's like it's like hey man come on in let me share everything i i have with you because i love it so much that i want you to love it as much as i do and i think that's something that 
it's when you do find it that like you got to hold on to that, right? Right. I mean, I, I went to a major match last year and it always happens. There's going, there's always going to be a time where something happens. And this time <laughs> I was driving up with a buddy. And when I got to his house and I transferred all my stuff, the one thing I didn't bring was my gun. I left it in my trunk. And I just remember <laughs> like, where's my gun? I'm like, Oh my God. And I was thinking I was going to have to like take an Uber for three hours. They even had an Uber at this, this city that we were in to, to go back and pick it up. And uh, I was very fortunate. There was another guy at this major match. He just finished shooting. He's like, Hey, you want to borrow my gun? You can borrow it and just ship it to me. I'm like, I didn't even know the guy and, and mm-hmm. willing to do that for me. So yeah, it's, it's, it's always been in my perspective, very positive. You know, there's always going to be bad actors in law enforcement and jujitsu in shooting. And there's always going to have issues because we're all human. But again, for the majority of time, it's, it's a, it's a great place to, to, to be. There's a lot of camaraderie and, um, you know, I just, I just wish more law enforcement officers would get past that first day and, uh, and stick around and come back. Cause it, it meant a lot to me to get that, to get better, you know, in USPSA, I don't know if the rules are in IPSC. They probably are. I mean, it was kind of done for people who carry guns for a living. And you are in the rules. You are allowed to shoot in your duty gear. Now, it's not going to give you an advantage. And remember, this is a sport where they're trying to get as much advantage as they can. But if you want to come out there and shoot in your vest and your duty gear, coming, you can come right off of work and they'll download you before you... Uh, it's in the rule book. They'll download you before you walk onto the range. Uh, you can do that. It's really geared towards helping law enforcement officers become better shooters. I'm sure that was, that was Colonel Cooper's uh, intentions when he created this. I did, yeah, I didn't even know that. That's really cool. I mean, normally when you, when you think competitive shooting, you think the guys with all the tricked out kit with the, um, the magnetic mag holsters and the, you know, the really swelled, um, uh, but, the palms, it, like the Adam, believe it or not, the, the biggest group right now are pretty much the, the, the guns that you and I would carry off duty with, with an optic. I mean, uh, uh, Carry optics is that they call it, you know, other places they call it pistol optics, I think, in Ipsic. That's the growing, the biggest divisions right now, because that's why all these gun manufacturers are putting optics on their guns, because they know these people want to shoot them. So, yeah, the, the race guns are out there, uh, but they're definitely not as popular as, as something like that. And you know what else is really popular? At least down here is the pistol caliber carbine. So you're basically shooting an AR-15 style rifle. You're shooting nine millimeter. So you can still shoot stage and not destroy, you know, all the steel. Um, but you've never had that much fun shooting an AR when you are shooting nine millimeter running around squirting bullets. Mm-hmm. And and from a practical training application, though, I mean, there, you know, there, it's hard to get real accurate CQC style firearms training. And from what I've seen, I mean, and obviously it's getting a lot of publicity right now with movies like John Wick coming out and then, you know, people watching all of his subsequent training, like three gun training on YouTube and, and those types of things, as much as it's probably there's good and bad to it. I think overall it's probably better. Um, that's drawing more attention to it. That people know that this kind of stuff is out there. Yeah. And what do you think? I think for sure. I think there's, uh, well, again, we, we talk from different perspectives, you know, down here in the U S uh, is definitely a boom. And of course with coronavirus, <laughs> the, the gun sales have been off the charts, but just because you buy a gun doesn't mean you know how to work a gun and, and shoot a gun. And that's where you need the training. And in addition to training, you know, once you get some good training, that's when you, you know, good training is also competing. Uh, Cause you'll never, you, you'd have to be super rich to take training all the top guys all the time you know eventually you're gonna to have to do it on your own and likewise you know most people now can't get to a range ranges are all closed so unless you live on property where you can shoot you gotta you're at home and that's when you gotta have a good dry fire program so there's books there's videos there's instructors who talk about it all the time and you know dry fire is <laughs> i had instructors say dry fire is 
uh, sharpening the sword and live fire dulls the sword. Because in dry fire, you can do everything correctly. When you get out there, when you're shooting real bullets, the bang sometimes causes problems. You definitely make a lot of gains. Now, again, if, if you're one of these really rich guys and you can shoot a million rounds a year, well, you're going you're gonna to have a different perspective than someone who can only shoot, you know, maybe 10,000 rounds a year. <laughs> do, you, do you know how many rounds a year I shoot? I probably shouldn't tell you. You'll be, you you'd be like, I don't even know why I'm talking to this guy. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if I brought this up the first time we had talked, but I probably go through, I mean, I probably go through 500 to 1,000 rounds a year. A year? Um, oh that's a training well, yeah. session. Dude, listen, <laughs> here's the thing. I mean, obviously it's a little different what up here than it is down there. And I think we had a very long discussion on that on your podcast. But for me, I mean, I don't have the opportunity to, um, we don't have as many ranges and things where I am anyways. And there is a lot more restrictions to it. So a lot of the ranges up here, it's static only. So I can't go out and, and do all of the move, move and shoot stuff. Um, there is specific ranges that we could get access to, but it's very difficult to get time on those ranges. And so, you know, depending on scheduling and all these different types of things, I mean, I may only get four or five, four days out of the year that I can actually go, which kind of goes back to what we talked about previously, which is doing stuff at home, which is like dry fire and things like that, which is, which takes up about 90% of what I do because that's all I have the opportunity to do. And if I really devoted more time and energy to it, I, there's obviously I could do more, but again, there comes cost. I mean, we're paying 50 plus cents around up here, um, to shoot nine mil. So that adds up pretty quick. If you, but, uh, if you competed up in Canada, once they start competing again, uh, you'd, you'd have an opportunity to shoot more, correct? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, uh, once, I think what, what your goal during this virus uh, quarantine is, is to uh, look at some different types of competitions look at the, you know, pick up one of those books on dry practice and uh, get yourself ready to compete. Yeah. I mean, I w- it's really interesting. So I had a, I had a chance to ch- chat with uh, Brandon Wright, who I think, you know, and then again, Todd Fletcher, after we did our IRT on uh, firearms training for law enforcement. And both those guys were like, you know what? Come, <laughs> Todd was showing me, he's like, <laughs> during the, uh, during the round table, uh, we were laughing because he was looking at his, he was in his garage. And so he's in Texas and he looks back and he's like, so do you see those buckets back there? That one and that one and that one. He's like, I have enough to reload 200,000 rounds. <laughs> He's like, so come down here. You can shoot as much as you want. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my, like you just don't see that up here in Canada very much. So, uh, it was, uh, it was kind of funny. I was like, I'm going to have to take, uh, take you guys up on your, I might do a tour of the U S come down and shoot with all you guys. So yeah, I've taken some classes down here where we've had uh guests from Canada and, uh, we, we how do we do? Of- do we do good? Not so good. Probably not. I so don't good. Know. Uh, yeah, they did. They did fine. Uh, it's just it was terrifying to see that they had like a five round magazine, and that's all they can carry. Ten, ten round, ten round. Yeah, my Smith and Wesson uh, has a, a ten round capped magazine. So the bottom third of it is actually like a polymer. Right. Same thing with the ARs. This was an AR class. And yeah, the AR the ARs are uh, capped at five. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, that's you know they were having a good time shooting you know the <laughs> borrowing uh, people's uh, thirty round magazines and. Uh, actually getting to to get some rounds down range so you can see the smile on their faces. So yeah, you know, definitely come down here and uh, uh, enjoy what, what we have to offer besides good weather. You know, it's funny. I was, uh, it just, uh, I'm getting all these flashbacks. So back when I was active duty and, and still with the forces, we had, uh, we had just finished doing two weeks worth of ranges and we're firing every weapon system that we basically had in the infantry and, we come back and then I was on leave and my buddies were like, okay, so we ended up going down to Vegas and they're like, Oh, let's go to the shooting range and, and sh- oh, we can shoot like a machine gun. And they're like, do you want to go? And I'm like, dude, I'm good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. I, I I'm fine. Uh, so, but it's funny because when you're, it, it's so exciting when you don't get the opportunity, but once you've been like, for example, for everybody listening to this, who's been in the military and law enforcement, and you have the opportunity to, to run those weapon systems, 
the the thought of doing it as like just like a thing to do as entertainment isn't really there. It's like it's not entertaining for me because that was part of my job at one point in time. Um, it's if I'm going to do it, I want to train it because there because I want to be able to use it as a skill, not just mm-hmm. as something to to do. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, uh, yeah, I that's I just had a f- massive flashback of that. So that's kind of funny. Um, one thing I do want to talk about, though, like you, you had said, um, well, a little while back in the talk, you had said that you start and end your sessions shooting groups. Let's can we talk a bit about I mean, it, what if you were to go out and you had a certain time period or like if you were to pick like a, a standard training day for yourself can we talk a bit about how you structure your range days so that if somebody's listening to this and they say okay maybe you know maybe I could do something a little bit more efficiently with my time than what I'm doing because a lot of times you know you get there and you're like ah what am I going to shoot today I don't know I'm, I'm assuming that when you go you kind of have a plan for the day as to these are the skills that I'm going to work on so can we talk a bit about that yeah, that's a great question uh before I got into competition, I was, I was that guy. I would go to, in, in my zone where I, where I patrolled, there was a gun range. So on uh, my lunch break, I would go to that range and, you know, buy a box of ammo, do the indoor range and get these really, you know, one of those big targets. And I, w- I would just shoot for effect. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, just shoot to shoot and make noise and thought I had a good time. And for a lot of people, that's, that's, that's what they do because even in an indoor range, there are things that you can do, but if you don't know how to train, you're going to have that problem. So getting into competition, you start taking classes, you, you see from the top guys what they're doing and always, just like any sport, you're always working on something. So if I go to a match and I see a target and I have trouble with that target for whatever reason, say it's a, you know what a popper is? Have you ever heard of a, a popper, steel popper? No, you're going to have to explain that one to me. So steel popper is a, they have two sizes. They have a standard one and a mini one. The standard one is about, let's say two and a half feet, three feet tall metal uh, plate. So it, it's, it's like a, I don't know. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a ghost looking plate. You know, it's, it's, it's got like, like a, a silhouette. It's like a silhouette, but it's not, it's not a person. It looks like a, an elongated amoeba, right? And it's just like a, it's a, almost like a rectangle, but it's got like a hump on it. Anyways, it's got, you'd have to look it up. It's still popper. So you hit it and it falls down. So it's a falling plate. Okay. So the big ones are are pretty easy to hit at any distance, but they have mini poppers, which are maybe about a foot tall and they're super thin. So it's definitely Mm -hmm. a challenging shot. And so say there was a mini popper at, 18 yards that I had, you know, a couple of makeup shots on. So, okay. You know, once the match is over, cause at the match, it's not the time to, you know, come up with new strategies on how to shoot. You're just there to shoot the match and then, you know, make a mental note when everything's said and done, this is what I did that worked. You know, this is the part of my process that didn't work and not didn't work, but uh, I need to work on. So you, you phrase it that way. So what do I need to work on? Well, I need, need to work on hitting a, small target at 18 yards that uh, uh, maybe was hidden by, you know, a barrel or something. So I'll go and after I, you know, do my groups, right. I'll do groups at 25 yards. I'll do group at 50 yards. And uh, just to make sure that I still have that trigger control to, to group, you know, get like a, maybe a, you know, two inch group, three inch group at, at, at that distance. I'll start setting up something that incorporates small target. If I have a mini popper, I'll get a mini popper and, and try and recreate that. Uh, and I'll shoot it from different perspectives. So, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a one headed shot. Maybe it's, you know, from a awkward position, maybe it's a leaning position. I'll just narrow it down to all these different types of things that I could possibly see in the futures. So when I walk away that day, I'm like, okay, I got this check. I'm, I, you know, next time I see that type of setup, I'll know that I'll be able to hit it no matter what. So it's not even going to be like, oh no, there's a plate rack, you know, or, or there's this thing. Have you ever seen a Texas star? 
Uh, I think I have, uh, but I'm probably going to butcher it. It's Is that the one where you have the, the five different targets in a kind of a circle form, that thing? Yes. And okay. knock one, the, the weight balance spins it around. Right, right, right. So there's, there's certain ways to hit it. But I know a lot of people, when they see there's a Texas star on the stage, they're like, oh, no. Or there's, if, if it's a one-handed shooting where you have to shoot you know, the whole stage you know, strong hand only. Oh no, what am I going to do? So I, you, know, you make all these things your strengths. So when you go in there, you go with confidence. You have a good self-image about your shooting that, hey, I can, I can hit any target. I know I can hit any target. I know I can be accurate at any target. I know I'm fast enough. I know if I just stick to my, my process, I'll be fine. And uh, just, you know, don't, don't sit there and freak out about stuff. So I'll set up, you know, so that's, that's the primary thing is I'll find what I need to work on and then I'll set up stuff around that. So say, um, okay, so say I was having trouble at shooting at 50 yards, shooting, you know, uh, I don't know, you, you guys have IDPA, you have IPSC, you have the same type of scoring zone, that, that center scoring zone. You know, if you're having a hard time hitting there, well, that's what I would work on the whole time. And once I finished that, I learned, okay. I got this now and then I can move on to something else. You know, it's really interesting in my mind. Cause we, you had just brought up, you know, moving target, people getting freaked out when there's a, like a moving target for law enforcement. Why don't we train moving targets more? Because chances are the person that you're shooting at is going to, is not going to be static. So, I mean, I mean why isn't that a well with their arms canted out to the side looking right at you? Yeah. 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 <laughs> all blue. <laughs> so, but why, why is it that we are, are so focused on shooting static targets when the reality is, unless, you know, you're a sharpshooter, the chances of your, your target being static or close to static is, is probably slim to none. Right. Like, I mean, go ahead. No, I, that's, that's the question. Like why, why is there that discrepancy in that? And why don't we start training moving targets more? Well, that goes back to that institutional mentality I was talking about where it came from the military and you got a bunch of people on the line. Uh, you can't move because you have someone right next to you and you can't have moving targets because we, only have, we have so many people in the class having a moving target would mean we'd have to slow down the class. So it's better that we sit there, we, we sit there and, and shoot at a bullseye. Uh, but you're right because the reality is not only is the subject probably moving, but you could be moving too. So that's, you know, that's, that's the progression. You know, you have, you're not moving, the target's not moving. And then you have, you're not moving and the target is moving. And then the hardest one though, is you're moving and the target's moving. So that could be you, you know, running around a car trying to get somebody who's shooting at you, that type of scenario. Mm-hmm. So why don't we do that? I think it comes down to uh, range setup, meaning a lot of ranges aren't built to have moving targets. And, or they don't have the, the facility to set up some type of moving target. So more of what you see in law enforcement training is, well, if the target can't move, then we'll, we'll set it up scenarios where the person's moving. And then you get to a whole tactics aspect because so in the competition, we'll shoot on the move and we'll shoot on the move without cover because we're, we're not shooting at targets that are shooting back at us. I've had this discussion with so many different tactical guys and you know, they're like, listen, shoot on the move is a cool thing to do. But in reality, if I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving from point to point, I'm moving from cover to cover. And then I'm shooting, I'll shoot, then move. Uh, unless I'm doing like an entry, right? So if you're you know, doing an entry and you move down the hallway, a target pops out, you know, you're going to shoot that target and keep moving. But the, the classic on the range, you know, where you're, you're shooting on the move because have you, if you go to a class, you see people shoot on the move. What ends up happening in reality? Once they start using a move, they, they move at a crawl speed because they want to mm-hmm. hit the target. Which, again, in reality, if that target was shooting real rounds back at them, they'd be moving super fast. Mm-hmm. So that's where you get to like, okay, so is this really a skill that you need to know? Probably not so much. I think, I always say this, the coolest thing for me ever is knowing that I'll be able to hit any target that I want to shoot. Having that ability is is great. It really is. 
once you get to that point where, okay, there's no target that you can present to me that I'm not going to be able to hit. Like I said, I shoot groups. I shoot from a variety of positions. I shoot single-handed, uh, shoot both hands, shoot opposite hand. Uh, shoot, you know, you shoot any position and I just know I'll be able to hit. That's cool. That's cooler to me than shooting on the move. But a lot of people, they, they want that shooting on the move. So, you know, you got to give some of that. But again, the reality is unless they, they get out there and do it all the time, they, they move at a crawl speed. So I prefer to, to, you know, a lot of people like to focus on the fundamentals. And you know, I've heard this before too. I mean, what are advanced techniques? Basically, it's just faster applications on the fundamentals. That's something that all the top, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're, what you're talking about. I mean, I can't remember who said it, but they were basically, I, I don't even want to take a guess because I can't remember who said it to me, but they said, you know, there was a conversation and, you know, the old slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And he's like, no, fucker, fast is fast. Slow, slow, fast is fast. Like there's, get get that bullshit out of your head. Like it's you, but to get fast, you have to start slow and do it correctly and work your way up to that. And that's, um, I think, and that's super important for people to know too. You're not going to step onto a competitive range being a, you know, doesn't matter if you're in the military or in law enforcement or private security or whatever. I mean, if you think like you had said, you have to, you should walk in there with a little bit of humility because I mean, it's just like walking into a jujitsu gym. Like you said, your first day. I mean, I walked in, I started jujitsu and I have, I'd been a competitive martial artist for years. In what um, in more, more like more, yeah, more stand up. Um, it was more Filipino based art. So, um, stick and stand up type fighting and point sparring. So it was just more just competition based, more for fun. Um, I was doing it because my buddy was doing it and his family, it was his whole family thing. So I'd done that and I was very, very good at it and I was very comfortable at it. And I was also a defensive tactics instructor and had been doing that for a long time. And so I step into jujitsu gym knowing that I have a, a, a weakness in my ground game because of all I've done, it was stand up. And then I get into the gym and oh boy, did my world get taken upside down real fast. Literally. I knew, and like literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to start from stand up? Sure. I'm comfortable with stand up. And then you got some uh, judoka or something who just drops you on your face. Um, but that's, but that's the thing. It's like when you're going into these competitive uh, shooting groups, at, from a law enforcement perspective, I mean, if if you had one thing to to say to them, would it be be humble, like go in there wanting to learn and not and don't kind of take yourself too seriously? Well, I think that being humble is is an important part of being a good student. I think I've come across people who've come to class and they've been uh, not egotistical, but just no, they knew it all. And unfortunately for them, they, they didn't learn in the class. And I think if you go into any avenue, having humility is just going to help you grow. And I, yeah, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I interviewed Ben Stoker, who's a world champion pistol shooter. And he's absolutely right when he says this, that. So one of the things about competition that gets people anxious you know, the timer makes you anxious. Shooting hard stuff makes you anxious. But shooting in front of other people makes you really anxious. It's kind of like that, you know, when you have to give a speech. Here you are, you're doing your performance, you're shooting, you think people are judging you. Nobody gives a crap. That's the thing. It takes a while to learn that, but nobody gives a crap unless you do something really stupid or unsafe. No one's going to remember what you just did. No one's caring. Everyone's thinking about their own stuff right about while you're shooting or they're talking or they're doing something else. No one is sitting there staring at you watch, even though they're around there. So yeah, you know, go there. Don't think about this stuff. Just go there to, to learn and, and to put yourself, you know, to challenge yourself. I mean, that's, I think, you know, when you put a little bit of challenge on yourself, you're, you're going to grow. You're going to grow as, as a human being. And especially if you're in the tactical world, you want to, you don't, you don't want to have, <laughs> I forgot who said it, but basically you want to be hard to kill, right? That's why we, we train in martial arts. That's why we train in gunfighting. That's why we, we, we study, uh, 
tactical problems or, you know, diagnose uh, stuff that's happened and where they made their mistakes. That's why we do it because we, you know, we want to be hard to kill. And uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, it's just like jujitsu. I mean, <laughs> in jujitsu, when, when you get choked out, I mean, you got to think about it. Like, hey, I could have died. This guy could have killed me right there and then. But, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this together and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a partnership. So yeah, we're, we're just learning and doing stuff together. But yeah, every time you, you, you get into that choke out, you're like, damn, if this was a real fight, I could have died. So <laughs> the point is, is that, yeah, when we're out there, we're, we're shooting, we're, we're practicing that, that one day, yeah, you might have to use your firearm to defend your life. Or, you know, you were talking about Filipino stuff. You might have to use your knife to defend your life. And uh, if you carry it, if you, if you, you know, practice with it, you, you better be able to know how to use it. And that's so important for military and law enforcement because that's your primary, uh, primary weapon. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I was, I was kind of giggling to myself uh, when you're talking about getting choked out. I think going back to the humility topic, I mean, I think everybody has done that where they're like, I'm going to, I'm not going to tap. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm not going to fucking tap. And then you get choked, they get choked out. And then you're like, okay. I, and then from that point, once you get that little taste, you're like, I'm going to get, ta- I think I'm going to tap over <laughs> from now on. I don't really, I don't really want that to happen again. So, uh, was, I mean, one but of the that- Gracie's who said, you know, just, you know, tap off and, and, uh, you'll learn from that. And yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I'm still, fighting, I'm still like, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to tap on an arm bar and now I still have a injury that I deal with because that was the ego. <laughs> like, Hey, I can, I can take this. I can take it. And uh, now I got yep. issues with that, that elbow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's trusting your training partner too. Right. And that's, that's a, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, especially if we're talking about that kind of stuff. But I mean, that's uh it's really interesting. Just, just the way people go into training and their mindset going into training, you have to go in wanting to, to learn something. And you, if you don't, then you're kind of just wasting your time and your instructor's time and everybody else's time, right? Like if you're going to show up to a course and there's five people in the course and you're there just dicking around, not like being like, I'm better than this. I don't need to do this. And this could go into, and we're, and this could be your, your, you know, your training for your agency, your annual training, whatever. If you're going in there with a crappy attitude, you're taking that instructor's time away from people that actually might need that help. And I think that's an important topic to always bring up as well. It's like, you have to be a good student, not just for yourself, but for your fellow officer and the fellow students that are in the class. You know, I've taken some really bad classes, but you can always learn something from any class. You can always learn something from, from, from a teacher who you, you have no respect for. Even if it's what not to do. Even if it's not what, what's not to do. Like I would never do that. But I, I've had people like that who are, because it wasn't as advanced for them as they thought it was going to be. And I, I pull them aside. I was like, okay, so you're a pretty good shooter. You know, you can hit that, but all right, why don't you pick up the pace? Because yeah, you're, you're doing it on a static line. You can make two shots in a row and, and they're kind of, you know, in the bullseye area. Well, why don't you do it faster? Can you do it faster? Can you do it? in front of everybody, right? What if I put you in front of everybody now? Can you do it at speed? What, you know, what if I went against you? Can you do it, you know, and beat me? You know, just put a different kind of pressure. I mean, there's always something you can do in a class to, to help yourself grow. Same thing with your, your, your training. You don't want to be training the same thing over and over again. You don't want to go to the range. You don't want to go to the mat and train the same thing over and over again without building on it. Because then you're 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 kind of limiting yourself and you're not really getting better. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I I love it. And speaking of training, let's let's bring up your your summit again. Um and let's bring up some of the stuff that you have going on right now and so that we can drive some people if, if you're interested in shooting and and uh, getting some more information on, on all this kind of stuff, where can they go and, and what are they looking for? Well, for the, the shooter summit right now. 
what you're going to want to do is I'm going to give Adam the link because it's, it's, it's not a, a friendly link. I mean, I can read it out, but you're going to have to write it out because <laughs> it, it, right it goes right to the, the payment page and you have to enter the coupon. So you'll, you'll, you'll click on that link and then you'll enter the coupon code COVID-19 sucks. <laughs> love it. I love it. Best, best promo code so far. And you don't have to put it in a credit card. You don't have to do PayPal. It, it'll, if, if, if it asks for that, that you did it wrong. Cause once you enter the coupon code, it's going to take the price away and the ability to enter credit card away. And then you also have to check the box that you want the two previous summits as well. And they'll show up as for free. So you get all three summits for free. And like I said, it's over 70 hours worth of content. Uh, you can listen to it. You can watch them. If, if you're into uh, watching drills, that's, that's, that's what the 2018 summit was all about. You, you know, all these instructors put on some drills. Um, and then of course you can go to the firearms nation podcast. You can, that's on, you know, Apple podcasts, Google music, Stitcher, Spotify, the whole nine yards. And uh, go subscribe to that. If you don't want to subscribe to it, that's fine too. Listen to the shows. It's been going on for over three years and uh, a variety of variety of people, you know, from, from authors, journalists to uh, tactical guys, uh, law enforcement. I, I do a, a series called Deconstructing Gunfights. I have another one coming up pretty soon where I, I speak to, and these are all police officers who've been in gunfights and we break down the, the whole detail of what happened uh, leading up to it, the actual shooting event, and then uh, afterwards. And uh, one of my favorite ones is I, I spoke to a guy from the North Hollywood shootout. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That was No, I, no, I haven't seen it, no. North Hollywood shootout was in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm familiar with the shootout. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about there. I, just, I hadn't seen what... Uh... You had done with this other gentleman. Yeah, no, I spoke to this guy who was uh, one of the guys that responded to it and uh, really interesting story um, and kind of went along the lines of some of the stuff that you do. I mean, his big thing now is supporting other law enforcement officers. He said a lot of the people who were involved in that ended up having problems, you know, uh, PTSD and getting into uh, drugs and alcohol, that type of stuff. So um, he was very big on, su- on the support groups. Um, but so yeah, it's the Firearms Nation podcast, and there's also a YouTube channel which I do a lot of my live streaming on. Where again, it's it's a it's a lot of Q and A. So I'll bring in an instructor, we'll talk for a little bit, but then you'll have the opportunity to uh, interact and ask questions. So it's all out there. It's all under Firearms Nation, and uh, uh, we actually had Adam on not too long ago and gave a very good uh, interview. Yeah, that was that was a ton of fun. I mean, I'm just I'm subscribed to to all your stuff. I listen to it whenever I get a chance, especially the podcast. I'm more of the podcast guy. I'm not on YouTube too much, but I mean, the content's fantastic. So, I mean, I'm I'm more than honored to to have you be a part of my show, man. It's uh, it's been a ton of fun. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad you reached out to me. Yeah, for sure, man. We'll have to do it again very soon. And uh, guys, be safe out there and stay healthy. Right on. All right, dude. We'll talk soon. All right, that wraps up another episode here on Tactical Breakdown. If you like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying the content and finding it actionable and useful, consider subscribing to the podcast. You're going to stay up to date on all of the current events with law enforcement training around the world. And if you haven't already heard about the International Law Enforcement Training Summit, you need to jump over to ILETSummit.com. Check that out. The live version is done and gone. That took place in July 2020. But you have the ability to get lifetime access to all of the training that's been developed for a very, very, very low price. Make sure to use the promo code BREAKDOWN to save even more. Check that out at ILETSummit.com. Thanks again for being here with us at the Tactical Breakdown. And until next time, stay safe. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.